0: Welcome to Heaven Smells Like Books, a book review podcast. Hello. Hi. (laughs) Okay, so... Happy New Year guys, Um, it's been a minute, it's been a while, yeah, I don't know what to say, but I am kind of back, I don't know how long this will last for, as in I don't know when the next episode will be, but you know, I think I might be getting over my reading slump, so hopefully that translates into more episodes. But anyway, it is a Monday evening, actually a Monday night. It is currently 9.35pm and I am so fucking tired. Like, I'm so exhausted, I'm so sleepy, but I need to get this episode recorded, at least recorded, I'm going to try and edit it and upload it today as well. <sighs> but like, I'm so... Tired, but i can't stop thinking about this episode because i finished reading this book last month it's which was january and i just haven't had time and it's it's literally haunting me <laughs> so i just want to get it done with um so we going to try to sound as alive as possible but the good thing is i think i usually have a monotone and usually sound tired so hopefully you can't tell the difference but please bear with me <laughs> i'm trying my best (laughs) um yeah and if i don't record it today my like the whole week i'm just so busy and i'm busy during the weekend as well so this is literally the only time and now i spent over two minutes talking about nothing so i'm just going to jump right in because like i said i'm tired i don't have time to waste um yeah so today i am going to talk about tony morrison's sula And I don't know if I mentioned the last time I did an episode that I really want to have a Toni Morrison year. It was supposed to be last year, but obviously that didn't work out because I could barely read last year. I read maybe like four books. Um, So I think I'm doing it this year. I finished reading Sula. I'm currently reading Tar Baby. So we're going to talk about Sula. I'm also reading her books in chrono chronological order anyway Sula right okay so when I picked up Sula I figured Sula was someone's name you know it's not a name I'm familiar with but I just figured it was someone's name. someone's name and so I was so I went into the book thinking that it would be like the main character would be Sula and excuse me and most of the book would focus on her. Which, looking back now, as someone who has read more than one Toni Morrison book, I should have known better. Anyway, you also know I do this thing where I don't read the excerpt. Uh, is that what it's called? I don't know that little summary they add they put at the back of the book to say it's like what the book is about. Um, you know, I usually don't read those, so I really just went in blind and went in thinking you know, it's going to be about Sula. So call me surprised um, when I started reading and Sula wasn't even one of the first couple of characters we were introduced to. Um, and then, so because the book feels like it's about so many other people um, and so many other things apart from Sula, I have found it really hard to describe what the book is about so if you think about how the bluest eye also by Toni morrison it was about a black girl who craved some elements of whiteness you know it was about picola and like that journey and how she got there and you know jazz also a tony morrison book which i read last year but i don't think i ever reviewed it it was a very difficult book to read <laughs> also okay now i'm going off topic but just really quickly i read jazz and then I was so confused for most of the book, and then I finished reading it, and I think I then googled it to see that to see if other people like also thought it was hard. I remember was funny like, it's a fucking trilogy, and Jazz is like the second book, and I was like, God damn, that's why I was so confused. Um, but the book is supposed—I feel like it's supposed to be a standalone book, and it sounds like other people do or did find it difficult to read anyway that's just a sideline on jazz but yeah jazz another book by tony morrison there was a main event the main event was the murder of a black girl and then we're taking she like tony morrison takes us through the journey of the people involved in the death like how it came about the impact it had all those things so thinking about books in that way it's really, I found it really hard to summarize Sula and see what Sula is about. I've come up with, like, different descriptions, like, you know, it's about Sula, or it's about a black community, but none of them do it justice. Like, every time I put down a note about, oh, I think maybe this is what the book is about, it's like, it doesn't do it justice, it's just not good enough. Um, so when I finished the book, I read the foreword that Toni Morrison wrote. And I think it really did help me understand the book better. So Toni Morrison herself describes the book as... Um, she said that the four main female characters, she described them as four points on a cross. And then she went ahead to explain what, like, the midpoint on Nexus... Um... Of that cross was or is I don't really understand what she was saying the main point of the cross was but essentially what I got from it was that think of the four main female characters who are the main characters honestly as the four points on a cross and then they are in the middle is the one thing they have in common and on the arms of each of those four points on the cross they are like wires or things wrapped around it. And those things wrapped around it are the other things that happen in the book. So those other things that happen aren't standalone things. And they're kind of linked to the characters. And thinking about the book from that perspective really helped me. Because it made me realize that, you know, the book is in fact not about just one thing. It's how Tony describes it. There are four main characters. They're all black women. They have something in common which is in the middle and all the other things that happen to them to the community every other thing that Tony mentioned in the book or like narrated to us you know those are the things wrapped around the arms of the cross and like that honestly reading the forward was a game changer and i'm glad i read i don't know if i should have read it before i read the book but reading it after i read the book really I guess reassured me (laughs) that you know it's really not about this specific thing but it was just like a game-changing way of thinking about the book period and maybe even books in general um yeah so i think that's a much better way of thinking about the book instead of trying to find a single thing that the book is centered around um but you know obviously i don't know if you guys have read it but in case you haven't, so in the book, the four female characters, the four main... Oh my god, excuse me, I need to burp. I'm so sorry, I hope you didn't hear that. <laughs> maybe I'll edit it out, oh, maybe I won't. We'll see. Anyway, um, what was I saying? Yeah, so the four main female characters are Sula, you know, the book is titled after. Then there's Nell, who is Sula's best friend. And then there's Hannah, who is Sula's mother. And Eva, who is Sula's grandmother and Hannah's mother. And the book actually starts off with a man who is not even one of the four main characters. Um, But it starts with that man. I'll I'll go into why later on. But anyway, the book takes us through um, the childhood of Nell and Sula. Obviously because they're best friends, they're childhood friends. And I don't know if I've mentioned this in the reviews I've done for other Toni Morrison books. But she sometimes... mm, Actually, no, I don't know if that's true. I need to go back and check but I feel like this is something she does I need to confirm but like actually let me know say she does it but in this book she sort of goes back and forth in time so like the timeline is in linear Actually, I'm pretty sure this is something she does because I remember when I picked up song songs of Solomon or song of Solomon one of the things people said about it was that the it's her book where, um, the main character isn't a woman. The main character in Song of Solomon was a man, and I think someone had commented on how the main character is a man, and also she does this thing that she usually doesn't do where, like, the timeline is linear, but in her other books, like, she goes back and forth, so you know sometimes we are in, I mean, not present day, but, like, we are, um, what's been narrated is what is going on right now with Nell and Sula, and then sometimes she'll go back to, um, Hannah's childhood, you know, Hannah's and Sula's mother's childhood, uh, and tell us what's going on there as well. So, like, she's going back and forth. But essentially, we get a really good, insights into the lives of these four women and on some level i think all of it was to give us a really good understanding of why sula was the way that she was um yeah so i think that's enough of a summary for you to not be confused for the remainder of this episode but you know if it's not helpful i'm always open to feedback constructive feedback But anyway, um, thinking of the other Ton Morrison books I've read. um, She does have a thing for explaining the other side... Well, quote-unquote side characters. Um, So, like, she talks about the other characters in the book. And I find that it usually gives me a better perspective into the main characters. So, she... We have a main character. And we're not just... she doesn't just focus strictly on that main character she talks about the other people in their life um as opposed to just you know having the main character narrates the whole thing or only having like this single point of view um on the main character and it reminds me of something i saw on the interwebs i think it was maybe twitter about how we're just a combination of little things we've picked up from the people we've interacted with throughout the journey of life so like the people we've come across the people we've loved the, the, the people we've had you know tangible relationships with as well as the things that have happened to us the environments we've been in um so like we're just a combination of all these things that we've come across um, and I think that that's like I really like that she does that in her books because it makes sure that we have a very good understanding of the main character. Um, and because when I think about myself, like there there's so many things that if you only have a view of me, and the people around me like there there's just going to be so many gaps and so many holes um like there are things that I do because you know my parents used to do them there are things that I do because like an ex used to do them and spending so much time with them I've also just picked up that habit. you know they're like I have a specific way of thinking about things but that's also a result of the way I was raised and like the friends I have and you know where i've lived where i went to uni high school all these things were just a combination of all those things um and the people we've interacted with so yeah i like that she does that (laughs) but like who am i to like comment on tony morrison's writing and what she does or doesn't do anyway um yeah i've already gone through like you know the four points uh on the cross. Yeah. Something I oh oopsie, sorry. Something I was questioning was though was that I'm not sure if there was any point in having the level of detail we had on excuse me, I just bropped again. I'm so sorry. Um I'm not sure we needed to have the level of detail we had on Nell's childhood Nell is Sula's best friend um because i mean i did gain some insight or like i did gain or learn some things from the description of Nell and her mother traveling to visit Nell's great-grandmother but i'm not sure that it added a lot to the story um but like I really feel like Sula is a book that I have to read multiple times. I think it's one of those books that you read multiple times and get different things from it um, each time. So maybe the second time I read this I'll be like, actually no, I completely understand why we needed to have that level of detail on Nell traveling down south. Um, Okay, so let's move on to the writing first of all it's a Toni Morrison book so enough said um but after reading Jazz I now feel like when I talk about Toni Morrison's writing I need to point out that this book is actually easy to read although just yesterday I stumbled on a video where Toni Morrison was saying that she doesn't agree that when like when people say her books are difficult to read which the only Toni Morrison book I've ever read that I thought was difficult was Jazz um but she was saying that she doesn't agree when people say it's difficult that like her books are difficult so you know it's not like she's going to listen to this but (laughs) (laughs) essentially she doesn't care that I think Jazz was difficult but anyway all that to say that Sula is it it's like an easy read it's also not that like the book itself isn't that thick it's not a lot of pages like you can get through it quite I'm a slow reader so I reckon people that read at a normal to fast pace can probably get it done in a few days um yeah but if you read this book I highly recommend reading the forward it was written by Tony Morrison herself and she talked about the technical parts of writing which is really interesting and insightful for me because I sometimes forget that even creative endeavors have technical bits and parts to them and I know that sounds very stupid and I'm so sorry if creative people listen to this and feel insulted I am so so sorry but I don't have a creative background um and so I mean I'm aware that there are technical parts to creative things So like people go to need to study arts and writing and all these different things but I just sometimes forget but it was interesting to hear it not here it was interesting to read about you know why she made certain decisions about how the book was written why she started it the way she started it instead of like other ways that she could have um and the impact that, you know, those decisions that she made, the impact they had on the writing and how readers perceive the book. I found that really interesting. So, yeah, I would recommend. In the forward, she also talked about how um, Black writers were kind of boxed into writing things that were considered political or were political. So, for example, she said that, like, a Black writer could write The Sky is Blue and when people are analysing that sentence, they'll be like, what does a blue sky mean to, a, to an enslaved woman? And, like, the vibe I got from what Tony was writing was still like, god damn, like, sometimes the sky is just fucking blue. Like, sometimes a black writer has just written that because it's a beautiful way to describe something. Um, And she said that she didn't, like, the way people engaged or reviewed the bluest eye because they completely missed in her words the aesthetics of it and focused only on the political aspect and i thought i initially thought oh shit, do i do this to black writers do i box them in and only view it from a political standpoint but then i remembered that when i read the bluest eye I remember thinking, this is the most beautiful thing I have ever read. Like, the writing in this is life-changing. I had never read anything like it. I still don't think I've ever read anything like it. The writing is fucking amazing. Like, I remember thinking, I did not know you could do these things with words. Like, I did not know words could make me feel this way. And... That reassured me because I was like, okay, I didn't approach the book from a perspective that the writer herself did not like. But it also made me think, like, how can you read The Blue West Eye and miss how beautifully written it is? How does that work? Like, don't get me wrong, that book is really fucking sad. (laughs) It's so fucking tragic, I should not even laugh. But, like, it was tragic, it was sad, but the writing, my God, mind-blowing, beautiful. Honestly, I, like, you have to read it to understand. There's no way for me to describe the writing other than, like, beautiful, the most beautiful thing I have ever experienced, and I knew a lot of beautiful black women. So, like, just to show you, like, the bar is high. And the writing in that book surpassed it. Um, yeah. What was I saying? Oh, yeah, about how, like, black writers were boxed into, like, a politics-only thing. And she said about, like, her writing is political, but also, like, girl, beautiful. So, like, why should she have to choose... Um. yeah yeah <laughs> if you are curious you can listen to my episode on the blue west i think it was the very first episode i ever did like i read that book and i was like i need to i need to tell people how beautiful this book is um yeah she also like also in the forward she i'm going into some more detail about fuck I hate this um <laughs> she also explained that she started the book as Insula Sula with a description of the town instead of the first character because starting with the first character we're introduced to would have made it harder or made it easier for people to put the book into this political box because the first character we're introduced to was a black veteran who was being like in the opening sing- scene he was in the hospital and then he was released from the hospital post-war and he was clearly not in the right state of mind or even body to be released um and so starting off with a black veteran who was experiencing PTSD and hadn't fully recovered like, the critics would have had nothing but politics to say about the book. Um and obviously she did a good job. She did a great job. Um and I think that that decision had the right level of impact that she wanted it to have. Yeah. Um as usual, the writing was great. It's stony Morrison. Um so, yeah, she did switch between characters, but she did it seamlessly. It was perfect. Um, also, I don't know if I... I'm pretty sure I mentioned this in my episode on The Blue West Eye. Timorism does this thing where I don't know if I like, right? Where she... There'll be, like, the most horrifying, horrible scene... And she just writes about it like it's nothing. And like it always seems like those things happen so quickly. I remember in the Blue West I when Piccola was almost um, assaulted by her father. It was like maybe five sentences. And I had to stop and read it again. Because I was like that like did I just read that? And I think it's a Toni Morrison thing where like these horrible things happen and she just like bam she just puts it into the (laughs) onto the page and it's like i did not see that coming at all um but it also makes me think that sometimes that's just how life is like you're not expecting something horrible to happen and it just happens um just like smacks you in the face and you're like oh shit and then before you can even recover it's it's over like they start so quickly and end so quickly yeah so she also did that in this book at this point i'm convinced it's just a Toni Morrison thing but yeah okay let's move on to the themes in the book we're already 25 minutes in and i'm just starting the themes i'm going to try as much as possible to make this episode oops sorry you'd have gotten some feedback just now from my microphone Um, Yeah, I'm going to try as much as possible to make this less than an hour. But we'll see. (laughs) Um, Oh my god, it's 10pm already. I have work tomorrow. Okay, no, it's fine. It's fine. Okay, moving on to the themes. So, at the top of my list, I have motherhood. Um, And specifically mother... (laughs) Mother specifically mother-daughter relationships i feel i think that that was you know a very strong and prevalent theme in the book well most of the book as well um excuse me i need to burp again (laughs) oh my god editing this is going to be a fucking nightmare excuse me so sorry i just had dinner that's why i keep burping um anyway yeah motherhood um I was also thinking about how motherhood was, like, a big theme in the book, and it made me think about how Toni Morrison, um, had said that she wanted to answer questions. So, basically, a while ago, I can't remember if it was in the 60s or something, I don't know, um, but black writers were asked to write about, um, Oh, what was the exact question? I can't remember the specific question, but something about the like, difficulties of being a black writer, something along those lines. And Tony Morrison was essentially like, she didn't think that was. Like, she didn't want to answer that question. She didn't want to write about that question. Well, she wanted to. She wanted. She found other. Like, she thought other questions were more important. And one of the things she said was that, you know, questions around, like, what does. What do female friendships or relationships look like when they're not affected by men? And so it made me think about how the theme of motherhood and mother-daughter relationships in this book, like it makes sense that she wrote about that, um, although like it was a strong theme in the book, especially because also thinking about it, the mother-daughter relationships are kind of in isolation or away from the father so Nell and her mother like her father was in her life but like he was very busy i need to bro up again what the fuck? i also need to pee <laughs> um yeah Nell um Nell's father was in their life but um he was very busy with work and was always away from work so we, we kind of experienced Nell and her mother's relationship um with no male character affecting it same thing with Sula and her mother and her grandmother um because her grandfather wasn't around her grandfather left her grandmother like when her mother was literally a child um I think Sula's father was dead but again he also wasn't there so yeah um anyway one of the first things that struck out to me was how easy it is for a language to die when it's not deliberately passed down from generation to generation so Nell once again Nell was Sula's best friend um Nell and her mother well Nell's mother was um Creole and obviously you know she could speak creole and there's a scene where nell nell's mother sorry nell wasn't the one that could speak creole nell's mother was the one that could speak creole anyway there's this scene or series of events <clears throat> where nell and her mother traveled down to visit her grandmother to visit um nell's great grandmother and you know they ran into Nell's grandmother. And Nell's grandmother tried speaking Creole to Nell, but Nell's mother hadn't thought Nell Creole. And so Nell couldn't understand. And Nell's mother, Helene, was, you know, told her mother, like, Nell can't speak Creole. You, like, she doesn't understand what you're saying. Um, And the fact that it literally took one person <laughs> for that lineage to stop understanding a language was just it just seems like such an like languages are so important and the fact that they can just die out is wild to me and i think the reason that it really stood out to me was because i've been thinking a lot about yoruba and other nigerian languages and how um in our generation so like young people right now our Yoruba is not as good as our parents right and (laughs) and like that scares me because if our Yoruba isn't good our kids Yoruba is going to be worse than ours right and so like in two generations after us where does that leave the language I know I like live in a bubble probably definitely um and like I'm not saying that there is no one within my age range on this planet who whose Yoruba isn't as good as my parents I'm just saying that um, for a significant significant amount of people it's I don't even know that I would call it a second language. For well, like a lot of us for me it is i can speak yoruba but like not as well as my parents and so that just worries me like where does where does this leave our languages are they just going to die out that's fucking terrifying <laughs> it's frightening to me um yeah anyway that thought isn't going anywhere that was just what i thought about it no big revelations or whatever um yeah another thing was like it, it seemed very obvious that Nell's mother really wanted Nell to be like far removed and separate from the way her mother grew up it was I got the vibe or feeling that she made sure that Nell couldn't speak Creole because the physical distance between Nell and her grandmother it felt like that, as in Nails' grandmother, it felt like, you know, the physical distance wasn't big enough. She needed to create, like, a lot of distance between those two generations. And what better way to do it than to eliminate the language? You know? Um, yeah. Uh... What else? Okay, still on motherhood. Um... <laughs> I want to point out that the mother-daughter relationships were all complex, but, you know, at this point, I think we've all reached an agreement that mother-daughter relationships have to be, in fact, complex. Um, I do if there are studies into why mother-daughter relationships are complex. Anyway, um, so, remember Sula? Yeah, so, her grandmother, like I said, her name was Eva, And Sula's mother's name was Hannah. Hannah had a brother. His name was Plum. um, And he was also a war veteran. And when he also got back from the war, he was really fucked up. And there was, like, no support for him. Similar to the first character we were introduced to. You know, so we have two veterans here. They're both black and they both do not receive the amount of support they should have. Um, I don't know if this is a reflection of the time or if it's a reflection of their race. Or maybe it's both, honestly. Anyway, one of the horrifying things that Arjun Morrison casually described was Eva setting Plum on fire. Yes, you heard that right. Eva sets her son Plum on fire. You guys, I cannot explain to you how shocking it was. Because, so Plum had obviously been struggling. He wasn't doing well. I think there might have been some substance abuse going on as well. Because they briefly mentioned something about a spoon looking like it had been heated up. And I feel like that's code for, um, cocaine. I don't know. (laughs) Um, yeah, so he was really struggling. And you know, there was this scene where Eva went up to his room and she sort of hugged him and they had a moment, right, where like he could tell that she could tell that he was in pain. I don't even mean physical pain, just like emotional pain. And then after they're like Oh, Plum could feel something being poured on him. And I'm what's going on here like is she pouring water on him is she trying to wake him up and then next thing he's on fire i was like girl were you pouring kerosene on him and yes she in fact was it was so fucking shocking like again i had to read it twice because i was like you know i'm clearly misreading things I have a note on my phone that literally says um why did Eva set her son on fire <sighs> but yeah it seemed like she could see that he wasn't in a lot of pain but she thought that again just my thoughts <laughs> um but she thought that getting him out of that pain would be too much work for her it was really heartbreaking to read as you can imagine and like she talked about how being pregnant with him was very difficult. How giving birth to him. Was very difficult. Like him specifically. Not just childbirth in general. But like him specifically. She talks about how. Like keeping him alive as a toddler. Was very difficult. And so basically like I said. like Eva's husband left them. And, no sh- and so she was left alone. To care for like. I think it was three or four kids. Including a baby. And. She didn't have any money. She didn't have a job. It was fucking freezing. It was cold. You know, it was hard for her to get a job because who's going to take care of that kids while she's working? Um, and you know, there was a point in the book where Plum, when he was a baby, like I think he had constipation. And like the Tony really described What it took. For Eva to. Sort of nurse. And care for him. Back to good health. But but yeah essentially like. That specific child. Plum. Like giving birth to him. And raising him. And keeping him alive. Took a lot out of Eva. And then when he came back from the war. I think she felt like. She had to do it all again. And she simply did not have it in her to do it again and so she set him on fire and I feel like she was trying to put him out of his pain and misery and that was the only way she could think of and it (sighs) (sighs) you guys it was fucked up (laughs) like there is there's no other way to put it. It was fucked up. Okay, 40 minutes. Okay, I need to get this done in 20 minutes. Um, still on Eva. So there is also a part in the book where Hannah, Eva's daughter, Sula's mother. Um, Hannah knew that it was Eva that set Plum on fire. Oh, by the way, Plum died. Um, in case that wasn't obvious. But, um, yeah. So Hannah knew. And so she once asked Eva if Eva loved them. And Eva, she got angry and she said no. Which was shocking to me. Because I had read about how much it took for her to raise those kids. And the things she had to sacrifice. Including something that was rumoured. that um, She had her, one of her legs amputated, um, so that she could get money. It was never confirmed, but, like, the way it was described in the book, when she, when her husband left and she was struggling to make ends meet, she left the kids for a bit, for a while, actually, with a neighbor, and when she got back, she just had one leg, and she had money to take care of her kids. So, for someone to do that, you like, she for sure loved those kids. So, when Hannah asked her, and she said no, that was really shocking to me. Because she literally suffered for them. Like, of course she loved them. Um, and I also think the way she got offended by Hannah asking if she loved them was understandable. And what Hannah asked was, like, if she loved them, if she, like, played with them. Um... And Eve was like, "No," and I think that from the way Hannah phrased that question, it was obvious that she was after a love that looked soft and joyful. But when they were kids, like, excuse me, I just broke again. I'm so sorry, you guys. Um. Yeah, so Hannah, it seemed like the way Hannah ph- phrased her question, it seemed like she was after a love that looked soft and joyful. But when they were kids, yeah, like, things were so rough, like I've just explained. I don't, like, I don't think Eva had the capacity to be playful. Like, she was a single black mother. And for context, I don't think I've mentioned this, but, um, the book is set in the 1900s, which means that when Hannah and her siblings were kids, that was, like, around 1895, so Eva was a single black mother in 1895 in America. Just to give context. I, like, I do not think she had the capacity to be playful. You know? I think that simply because of the times, like, love for her kids looked different. It looked like keeping them alive. Which, you know, seems like a small thing in the context of today. But in the context of America... And what being a black woman probably was like. Or was like in 1895. It was a lot. It was her and three kids. One of those kids was a baby. That's a lot to handle. And find, and then still find time to play. Like be fucking for real. But like I also get why Hannah would ask Eva that question. Given that Eva killed Plum. But like also like. Because Hannah's experience of life wasn't 1895 america it's i think it was i think that was why she phrased it that way um because her context of life although like i'm sure in the 1900s like black women weren't having a great time either um but it's probably different from 1895 and so hannah's Hannah's question was coming from a different context like, perspective and point of view and life experience. Um, and it seemed like Hannah was aware of their poverty because, you know, she got... There was a reference to Three Beats, as in B-E-E-C-S, um, and she got that. So I, I think Hannah was aware of how poor they were. But I think knowing that they were poor because or like knowing something because you've been told or because you have some memory of it, experiencing it as a child is very different from knowing it because you experienced it or remember experiencing something like if my mom tells me something about her childhood um like I didn't experience it so my understanding of it will still be limited um and I and I think that maybe that was why Hannah phrase that question that way I would get up to pick up the book to read that page to you because it was such an emotional page when Eva was telling Hannah that like are you fucking kidding did I love you did I play with you like girl <laughs> what kind of question it was very emotional but I'm really fucking tired and we are 45 minutes in and I need to get this done so I can put the pages down in the comment section in the description rather and you can read it but yeah moving on from the motherhood theme and i'm going to move on to race um i made a note of something regarding the race thing on my phone i just need to find it um yeah so the race theme was definitely present but i think it was subtle um so it was there in the way Tony Morrison described how the town came about, because essentially, you know, a black person was sort of given... Like, they were given... The black people were given the town as a reward for something. Um, But the way it was sold to them was like, oh, you know, that part of the land is... Very good, ideal, you know, crops will grow, blah, blah, blah. And then they got there and it was shit. Because it was at the top of a hill. So, like, all the bad weather, everything, they would get the most of it. um, And it was also called, the town was called The Bottom, which is ironic because it was at the top of the hill. Um, and then the white people lived in the valley. And so, essentially, when there was really bad weather, high wind or whatever, obviously, the people at the top of the hill felt the impact more um another thing that was interesting though was that at the end of the book the town essentially there was like an upside down thing where the town which is called the bottom even though it was at the top of the hill now became where the rich or like where the white people lived um and the black people were kind of <laughs> sent back down the hill um so there was that race element in that context um Nell and Elaine's trip down south which I referenced earlier there was also some racial elements to that because the farther down south they got the more racist it was um lack of work in the town because it was like an all black town and so it was difficult for people to get work you know so the race thing was also there in that way even not having money um, so, like, in, the race theme was, honestly, I would say it was present throughout, but it was subtle, and I, after reading the foreword, I know now that that was a deliberate choice, and I think if Toni Morrison's goal for the way she wrote the book was to make sure that people couldn't view it only within the political box, but she, like, she said, like, her writing is political, I think she, like, so, if her goal was to make sure people couldn't put the book in a political box. But also not be able to ignore the political bits of it. If that was the goal, I think she achieved it. Duh. It's Tony fucking Morrison. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um. So, I just want to talk really quickly. A bit more about Nell and Helen strip down on um, South. When we're going to visit... Nell's great-grandmother, Helen's grandmother, um, it made me think about how society, institutions, all these things, how they can slowly but surely strip people of their dignity because they took the train rights for the journey and when they got to a certain point, there were no toilets for black people to use and so they had to Shit out in like the bush, essentially. And the first time that happened, like at the first stop that that happened, Nell's mother was absolutely disgusted and she found it really difficult and awkward. But by the time they got to like their second, third, fourth, fifth stops and they got to their destination. Like, it wasn't a big deal to her anyway. I think at some point she even seemed proud of how good she had gotten at it. And it didn't mean that what happened to them was less horrifying now that she was used to it. It just just meant that, like, because of the way she was treated, like, it forced her standards to... It forced her to drop her standards. But it was still just as horrifying. Um, but like her perspective had been forced to change and she had been forced to like you know do this demeaning thing over and over and over again to the point where it didn't even feel like a big deal to her and yeah it just made me think about how we strip people of their dignity and pride and preferences Um, there was also a similar thing when Nell visited Eva in the old people's home 10 minutes left for this is an hour long so I'm gonna brush over that um societal norms was another theme in the book and this was really interesting to me because the town had like very funny ideas on what was okay what was acceptable what was not acceptable so something that was very obvious was that eva and hannah they like their approach with or approach to romantic relationships with men wasn't really like oh this single this one man is my man right they hannah and eva both had like multiple relationships with different men and for Hannah especially didn't matter if that man was married or not if she wanted him and he wanted her she was gonna get him period um yeah so they didn't think of men as a oh I can only have men that are single and he will be mine exclusively it was just no every man is available for me to pick from and he's not going to be my permanent partner It's just like for the time being while well, I'm interested um and Sula also had a similar approach however the only the main difference with that was that with Sula she didn't care about the men like she wasn't emotionally attached to them and for some reason that made the people in the town hate her meanwhile they did not hate her mother or Eva I think they thought of Eva as a formidable person but they didn't hate her and if they did not anywhere as much as they hated Sula and that was just interesting to me that like you know because Sula isn't emotionally attached to your husband it feels like a bigger insult than how your husband was cheating on you with um hannah because you know there was a sense of hannah being interested in the man um so yeah that was interesting it was almost like god damn like the side chick don't even want you like the side chick doesn't even want you that's embarrassing for me like what do you mean my husband is being rejected by his side chick that is embarrassing stop um, so yeah so I thought that was interesting another thing actually still kind of on the same thing but like Sula really so for a period of time for like 10 years actually Sula left the town like she didn't say goodbye or anything it was at Nell's wedding uh, bear in mind that she and Nell were literal best friends they did everything together um they it was, it was truly them against the world and so Sula's understanding of Nell was that Nell was different from everyone else. Like, Nell understood her. Like, Nell was her person. Nell wasn't like every other person that was like a basic bitch. Like, you know. Um. Anyway, yeah. So Sula left on after Nell's wedding. She didn't say bye or anything. She just left. And I, we weren't really taking on that journey with her. I was just explaining like, that, as you know. She went to uni, she traveled around, and she randomly came back to the town as an adult now. Like she was a teenager when she left, and when she came back, she was an adult. And so she then proceeds to sleep with Nell's husband. And Nell caught them in the act. First of all, I don't even have time, but imagine catching your best friend fucking your husband. Hmm. (laughs) anyway moving on swiftly anyway yeah Nell caught them and Sula was surprised that Nell was upset and at first I was like bitch what of course she's upset you fucked her husband and she caught you and like you're not even apologetic but Sula was essentially like you know she grew up in a home where women the women that didn't think of men as like I said, like, permanent partnerships. And they didn't think of men as, oh, this man has to be single for me to have him. Um, So, like, that was how she approached, like, sexual relationships or non platonic relationships with men. The interesting thing, though, was that she understood why other people would be upset about their husband cheating on them with her. Or for some reason, she thought Nell would be different, as in she thought that because when they were growing up, it was always excuse me another broke. I'm so sorry anyway she thought that because when they were growing up, it was she and Nell against the world, and they saw things from the same perspective, and it was always like they were sort of outsiders ish. Um. But they were outsiders together, and so she thought that Nell's perspective on men would be the same as hers. And so, like when I tell you this, babe was disappointed that Nell was upset that she fucked Nell's husband. She was truly, she was upset. But yeah, that's another thing that just made me think about like things we consider normal and like where we draw the line with things and. All of that. Um, what else do I have written here? War and PTSD. Um, I think I already mentioned that. You know, I didn't like that the two veterans that were there didn't get the support that they that they very clearly needed. Um, four minutes. My God. Um, you know, I feel like if I do read this book again. I feel like i would do another episode because one hour isn't enough to talk about all the things that happened in the book but i hope this prompts you to read it um and once again i really think tony morrison was really successful in writing this book in a way that forces people to not think about it from a strictly political perspective and i think it's a well-written book um i was just thinking the other day that every time I read a Tony Morrison book I feel like I'm learning something because one of my friends read White Teeth by Zadie Smith recently I read that book like six years ago um and at the time I remember I really loved it but my friend read it recently and he was saying that you know, he didn't feel like he got anything new from it. And it just made me think that, like, to Morrison, like, these books were written years ago. You know, some of them were written before I was even born. But every time... And, like, I've been reading since I was a child. Um, and every time I read her book, I really do feel like I'm learning something. And I just... I think that just attests to how much of an intelligent person she is. Um... I mean she's an amazing writer obviously but I just think to be able to do that and those books are still relevant and like people are still learning things from them I think that's highly commendable Who am I to even comment on Morrison um but yeah that's all I have to say right now or like that's all I can fit in I really need to fucking pee um I would highly recommend this book it was great and yeah, like I said, I'm currently reading Tar Baby. Actually, I'm going to mention this now very quickly. In Sula, there's a character called Tar Baby. So I picked up Tar Baby thinking it would be about that Tar Baby. And I'm almost halfway through. First of all, um, I'm still not sure who Tar Baby is in Tar Baby. <laughs> like, I don't know which character is Tar Baby but now i'm no longer sure that it's the same tar baby as Sula. like i don't know i'm kind of confused but anyway whatever we'll see and hopefully i finish it and do a review of tar baby um thank you for listening and you know if this isn't your first time on the podcast thanks for coming back even though i've been away for months um I have very good reasons for being away life was vlogging my ass um and i was really struggling to read and i think i might be getting my mojo back and i'm very excited about it so fingers crossed this is my year of podcasting so yeah thank you so much for listening um please like and share and subscribe and I love talking about books so legit if you want to message me you can message me and we will go on and on about the books baby so yeah have a great week (laughs) bye